0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. My name is Eric Snader, and welcome once more to the podcast. Oh, my goodness gracious, has it been busy. I'm so sorry I did not end up getting a podcast sent out to all of you wonderful listeners last week. It has been insanely busy. I've started a summer job. I um, was part of a bachelor party. My mom had Mother's Day. My dad had a 60th birthday. This past weekend, I was part of a wedding. It has been absolutely nuts. I have had barely any time to sleep and eat and do all the work that I've needed to do for all of that stuff. But I am back with you now. And I actually. I'm really excited to bring you this particular podcast because this is actually a sermon I preached this very morning. So you'll be able to listen to this on Sunday evening, May 26th. I preached this this morning, so I'm really excited to give it out to you, the many listeners out abroad in the world. Um, It was a really fun one to write. It was a very me sermon, so I'm sure... If you've been listening the past 15 episodes, you'll know that, oh, yeah, this is totally an Eric kind of sermon. Um, So I'm just really excited to share this with you. Um, Other stuff, um, follow me on Instagram, EastNader18. Um, Follow me on Twitter. Uh, Follow me on Facebook if you want to keep up to date with when um, these podcasts are being dropped Um, I'm trying else what else to think of go ahead and subscribe to the podcast either on Spotify or Podbean or iTunes or whatever floats your boat wherever you're listening to this Um, comment rate all that good stuff yeah I think that's all the beginner intro excuse me intro stuff that I have for you The sermon today, this is episode 16, the sermon is called The Search. So, let's talk about it. Welcome back. Um, So oftentimes, I'll just launch straight into whatever I'm talking about. But today, I want to frame my little talk, this sermon, so to say, so to speak, with some Bible verses. And these were Bible verses that were read right before the sermon, and they sort of give us an intro for a little taste for what the sermon will be about. So the first one I'm going to read for you comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 12 through 18, and then the next one will be coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 13. So here we go. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. I, the teacher, when king over Israel in Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity in a chasing after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted." I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a chasing after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. And from 1 Corinthians. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. So, it's not terribly often that you hear a passage from Ecclesiastes that's preached on or really talked about. Um, I mean, the book quite literally begins by saying everything in life is meaningless, Not exactly your run-of-the-mill pep talk. So the book itself, while its authorship is ultimately unknown, is attributed to a quote-unquote teacher, presumed by many to be Solomon, the son of David. Now, while... I don't necessarily know where I fall on, did Solomon actually write this book? And while many really don't know if Solomon actually wrote this book, for the purposes of this talk, of this sermon, we'll continue to run with the traditional view of Ecclesiastes authorship. Now, if you cast your mind back into the story of the Hebrew scriptures, if that's something that you're familiar with, or if you're not necessarily familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, Solomon was renowned... For his wisdom. In biblical tradition attributes books such as Proverbs and Song of Songs to Solomon. And these are books that are just dripping with advice and ways to live life. They're wi- part of the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible. Solomon's knowledge stretched from intimate relationships to everyday common sense. Essentially, nothing was too great or too small for Solomon's mind to grapple with. Um, As we see in Proverbs and Song of Songs, Solomon is basically a pastor and a professor all at once. However, in Ecclesiastes, we see a different side of Solomon. Instead of the assured figure we're so used to seeing in the Proverbs, we see someone who's beset with doubts, fears, and apathy. And if you take Ecclesiastes only at its face value, at its first chapter, you could pretty easily say that the book is pretty depressing. I mean, it starts off by saying everything is meaningless. Talk about nihilistic. Um, but if you take Ecclesiastes for what comes after its first chapter, then you'll see that this book is so much more. The Ecclesiastes is this book that's about a fundamental human experience. The experience of the quote-unquote search. And we're all searching for something, right? We're all searching for jobs, love, family, direction, purpose, God, or some higher power. Whatever it might be that you're searching for, I want you to... Take in this fundamental truth as you're listening to this. Everyone else in the world is searching as well. I'll be the first one to raise my hand to that fact. Um, Some of us have been searching for a really long time. Others have only just begun. Still, others may have thought themselves that... You know, others may have thought, "I am finally here. I've made it." And then they suddenly find that another meandering path is going off into the great forest of life. And this happens to everyone, whether they be little children, teenagers, young adults, those in their middle ages, or those in the latter stages of their lives. And for the writer of Ecclesiastes, they discovered that all the pleasures they were seeking, were not doing the trick of fulfilling the answer to their search, and the pleasures they were seeking were drink and promiscuity. They sought, um, they sought joy and contentment and purpose in the arms of, in the arms of a lover, and in the gentle caress of alcohol, and in. Amassing wealth and building large palaces and showing everyone how great they were. All of this stuff was an attempt to figure out what the purpose of being on this planet was, and none of it was doing the trick to fulfilling the answer to their search. And in Ecclesiastes, this search revolves keenly around God and the meaning of life. And I know this is going to sound a little college dorm room at 2 a.m. but what's the meaning of life to you the listener take a moment or two to think about it what might the beginning of an answer to that question be for you in your own life and experience i mean for me much of life's meaning surrounds the relationality of the world around us, how we are intimately connected with our true selves, those around us, and the entire universe. And you here listening on this podcast will not be surprised to hear me say that. Um, you know how we interact in those relationships is important to living a full and meaningful life. And you know, for me, it's it's if this relationality is the very foundation of what life means. You know, in my own experience, I would say that thing that connects us is God or spirit or source or the flow or whatever else you might want to put in there. But what's the answer to the meaning of life for you? Think about it. You know, for the writer of Ecclesiastes, the answer to this question is essentially be present with one's life. For in that present moment is joy and purpose. As you read through Ecclesiastes, the writer comes to the conclusion that, you know, tend your fields, drink wine, be content, be happy. Because there's contentment in that simple, simplistic moment. And I know I've mentioned it before in this podcast, but the answer to the meaning of life is not an easy question to find an answer to by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I I wouldn't be afraid to say that it's absolutely impossible to fully and definitively find an answer to the meaning of life. I mean, if you listen to my interview with Kelly, I said that in the podcast. There is no possible way that we can find a definitive answer that is perfect for every single human being for such a large question. I mean, I talked about relationality as being the meaning of life for me, but did you come up with a different answer? Um, you probably did because we share different life experiences. I shared that question, you know, how many came up with a different answer? I shared that question with my congregation this morning, and even though we came from the same church community, even though we claim a fairly similar theology, even though we, many of us share very similar life experiences, we all had different answers, and this is because the answer to these questions of what the meaning of life is, what it means to be human, who God is, it's so keenly shaped by our experiences in life. And it's at this moment that I want to take a moment and reflect upon where our answers came from. Where did that answer to the meaning of life come from for you? Maybe it was something that you were taught as a kid. Or maybe it was shaped by a particular life event or experience such as the birth of a child or the loss of a loved one. For myself, my understanding of the meaning of life has not only been keenly shaped by my theological education, but it was also shaped by a very traumatic event in my own life um, after my first year in college when my best friend committed suicide. It was within that traumatic event where I discovered God's comfort and peace within the relationships that surrounded me. The supportive family and close friends revealed to me a peace and strength which I never would have been able to find on my own. In those relationships, in that connection with myself and with others and with the world, I found meaning. I found God. <clears throat> For the writer of Ecclesiastes, their conclusion came directly from their experiences in what they would say the vanities of life's pleasures they discovered that all these pleasures that they were seeking the amassing of wealth the continued consumption of goods the building of the big houses all that kind of stuff was like chasing wind i mean how many of you have ever sat in your sitting room or your living room or your dining room or your family room or whatever room you might be sitting in on a lazy Sunday afternoon and you see a little sunbeam trickling through the window and you see the dust filtering down in the air and you go to grab it with your hands and you open up your palm and your palm is empty. That's What the writer of Ecclesiastes realized was he was, they were grabbing at these pleasures thinking this is what's going to fulfill me. This is what's going to give my life meaning. And when they pulled their hand back and opened their palm, it was empty. They discovered that joy is not found in the consumption or possession of goods. Rather, joy is found in the contentment of the simple moment they were in. Contentment was not in trying to grasp the dust and pull it back. Contentment was found in looking at the beautiful sunbeam and the dust filtering down and saying, this is a good thing. And this is where we really begin delving into the heart of what the search entails, particularly when it pertains to our search for God and for our identity with this divine mark, with this source, with this thing that connects us all. And to explore the answers to the search is to begin to uncover one's true self by passing through one's ego or false self, as Richard Rohr might put it. And I've done a podcast on this before about the true self and the false self. So if you want to go back and listen to that, please feel free to do so. But essentially, the true self is that thing that rests deep, deepest within us that we can never shed, that we can never shake. It's our ego essence, our soul, our spirit, whatever word you want to put into there, whatever vocabulary you want to use, it's that thing that rests at our deepest point. Whereas the false self is all the identifiers that get placed on top of that, that we either claim for ourselves or maybe society places upon us. Um, so in order to begin launching into the search for the meaning of life in order to begin launching into the search of the true self and launching the search into the deepest part of ourselves, it's almost like we need to start peeling back these layers of the false self. We need to start forging through them, getting underneath them down to the core. And in order to get to that core, we have to peel back those layers much like an onion. And in the service this morning, I actually had an onion, and I peeled each layer of the onion. I even had a Shrek picture up on the screen. I thought it was hilarious. No one laughed at it. Whatever. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I would peel an onion layer off, and each layer represented another aspect of me. So one layer of me is I'm a husband. I'm a snader. I'm from central Pennsylvania. I grew up Mennonite. I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan. I go to seminary. I get anxious and stressed out when I'm unsure of what the future might hold, when I'm wrestling with doubts, when I'm wrestling with the unknown. At times, I can be a little bit introverted. I enjoy being creative. All these different things are parts of my ego or my false self and that's not necessary. and I talk about this in my other podcasts about the true self but that's not to say that our ego or our false self are necessarily bad things like I'm really happy that I'm a husband I'm really proud to say that I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan I en- enjoy being able to say that I'm creative what my wife is booing me. She's a Washington Nets fan, kind of. We Neither of us really watch baseball all that much. Um, but anyway, I enjoy the fact that I am creative. I enjoy the fact that I get to be a podcaster, even though these are false self-identities doesn't necessarily make them bad. But as we begin peeling back these layers of the false self, we begin to get closer to the heart of our true selves, to the heart of God. And just like an onion, if you peel enough layers back, you'll find that you're not holding anything anymore. Um, You find that there's something there that cannot be peeled anymore. You can feel the juice On your hands, you can smell the onion. The residue is there. The remnant is there. It's something that can't be peeled anymore. And this is what the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, might say is faith, hope, and love. Like the verse that we read, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. And these are what lie at the heart of our essence, the heart of our being, faith, hope, and love. Because we're born out of the outpouring love of God's spirit, we're breathed forth to use Christian terminology, we're breathed forth into the into being out of the chaos waters of the deep. Love, this rooting of ourselves in love is connection, it's peace, it's wholeness. One of Christian theology's most critical theologies is the idea that we all bear God's divine mark, which is something that I've talked a lot about in this podcast already. And this mark is born out of love, a love for the present moment, a love for the interconnected cosmos that we find ourselves in. I mean, wherever you might be listening to this, look around you. Everything is built from the same molecular foundation. Um, quarks at the very, very bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. Quarks, when they come into relationship and community with one another, when they come together, they form neutrons and protons and electrons. And electrons and protons and neutrons, when they get together, when they form community, when they start interacting with one another, they form atoms. And when atoms come together and start interacting with one another and are in connection with one another, they form molecules. And molecules, when they interact with one another, form cells. And when cells Come together and interact with one another. They form the entire known world. The seat that I'm sitting on right now is made out of cells. The mic that I'm speaking into is made out of cells. The air that's coming out of my body is made out of molecules, which will then turn into dust and everything else. I mean, what is the saying? Like, we're probably breathing the same air molecules and the same dust molecules that Jesus breathed like 2,000 years ago. All of this stuff is continually being recycled and woven together. It's, it's all in union with one another. We're all part of the same fabric and love What we are born out of love is an appreciation and recognition of this connection that we have with all things. Our children, our loved ones, our dogs and cats, our backyard, the ocean that we love swimming in over the summer, all of it. We're all connected. We're all made out of the same stuff. Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of John. There's this point where he's having this really cool prayer moment where he's praying for his disciples he's praying for the world and this is what he says when he gets to the point where he's praying for the whole world he says the glory that you have given me i have given them so that they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Love is unity. Love is what connects us. Love is what pulls us together. It is what says I see myself in you and you see yourself in me and I see myself in the nature of. Around me. Love is that which connects us to all things. So we have love, but there's also hope. And hope is the understanding that maintaining and cultivating this connection is crucial. You know, when there's a breakdown in that connection of love, in that peace, in that wholeness, there's room for destructive work to be done. For the writer of Ecclesiastes, we see this breakdown in their desire for pleasure over the true joy of the moment. The writer's apathy poured, poured out of the disconnect between themselves and the rest of the world around them. Their seeking of pleasure was mainly driven by their own desires. And I want to add a little caveat here, because it is not a bad thing to treat yourself. Um, And it's really, really important to cultivate a healthy self-care practice because you are intimately connected to your body and your true self. You need to be caring for it. You need to be maintaining it because even within your true self and within your body, you can find God. That's a place where the divine can enter through. And that's something to be cared for. That's something to be nurtured. That's something to be cultivated. So absolutely take care of yourself and take your needs highly highly in regard take your needs seriously but what happens with the writer of ecclesiastes and what happens with many of us is it's almost as though there's a total and utter absence of the needs of others within this self desire And when there's a total absence of the needs of others, it becomes not only detrimental to the self because not only do we get shoehorned into our own narratives, our own stories, our own understandings, it also becomes detrimental to the world. I mean, look at the atrocities of slavery. This is a system that was driven by the desires and needs of one particular group at the expense and exploitation of another. Our continued exploitation and consumption of the world's resources have brought a climate catastrophe upon our very doorsteps. This disconnect from the needs of others around us as well as the needs of our natural world causes destruction. And hope is the pursuit towards more expansive and intimately known connection. Hope is seeing those places and spaces of disconnect and saying we need to reconnect things up there's something amiss here and it needs to be fixed hope is what told the black slaves in america that they wouldn't always be slaves Hope is what told the Israelites that they would one day return to their ancestors' home while they were in bondage in Egypt. Hope is what told Paul and the disciples that the Jesus movement was for all people, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, gay or straight. Yeah, we're still still working on that. Hope is what tells us that there is further growth that can happen for us. That even in the face of adversity or suffering, there's still a better tomorrow. There's still opportunities to reforge connection. That disconnect, that destruction will not win the day. As Annie sings, the sun will come out tomorrow. So we have love, which roots us in our very being, in our very connectional world. We have hope. Which gives us eyes to see that these connections need to be maintained and cultivated, and then there's faith, and faith is the actions and the decisions we take to make that f- to make. Sorry, faith is the actions and decisions we take and make that flow from this rootedness and love and hope. In the New Testament world, and in the New Testament scriptures and passages. The word used for faith often is the Greek word pistis, which does not necessarily mean what it is commonly understood as today. So today, faith is commonly equated with assenting to a certain mental belief or exercise. You know, we have quote-unquote faith that Santa Claus exists. We have quote-unquote faith that there will be presents sitting under the tree on Christmas morning. We have this belief, almost. And what the New Testament writers meant when they talked of faith was not this sort of mental belief. But for the most part, when they talked of faith, they talked about it in the form of the practice of patron-client relationships, which was very common within the Roman world. So in the Roman world, a patron, generally a wealthy landowner or lord, would take on clients, whether they be slaves or peasants or freemen's, and they would choose them, they would choose these chosen people to work the land for them. And for their service, the patron would bestow grace upon their clients in the form of providing them with shelter, protection, possibly even wages, which for many would have been A mode of salvation think of how how saving getting a job and getting wages are or getting a roof over your head or being protected from the dangers of life (laughs) that's salvation right there um so the patron would bestow this grace upon their clients and the clients in return would show faith to their patron by continuing the work for which they were chosen In the same way, our faith is a response to this loving connection, the grace of this loving connection that comes from our source, that comes from spirit, which comes from God, which comes from the Big Bang, which comes from whatever you want to put in there. Faith is the continued work for which we were purposed and chosen. Faith is the continued work of revealing and seeing the intimate connection of love in all things because ultimately God or source or spirit or the flow is found in these deep and fundamental connections it's found in the continued maintaining and cultivating of these connections it's found in the continued revealing of these connections it's found in love and hope and faith For the writer of Ecclesiastes, this connection is found in the simple act of working the field and being present in the moment. You know, for me, this connection is found within the self and within others and within the created order. But I have a question for you. Where is the connection found for you? Is it found in your family? Is it found in the co-workers that you spend day in and day out with? Is it found in the quiet evening as you sit on the porch and the thunder rumbles over the ridge and you see the water coming down and watering the plants? Do you find it in a serene wood? Do you find it in a hike upon a a tall mountain? Do you find it in the simple service scene within volunteers cleaning trash up along the side of the road? Where? Is that connection found for you? Is it found in church? Is it found by not going to church for some? Wherever that answer may lead you, friends, I ask that may you continue the search. May you find solace and solidarity in the experiences of the writer of Ecclesiastes. May you find solace and solidarity in the experiences of your fellow community, your friends and your loved ones, your coworkers, and everyone else who surrounds you. May you discover the connection that is the image of God, the source, the spirit. May you discover the connection of love in all things. May you cultivate that connection. And continue to let your actions and decisions flow from that space. May you be a person of hope and faith. And may you find beneath all your layers the faith, hope, and love which connects us all and which flows through all things. Peace and love, y'all.